everybody. This is Will Hauk with the Roots, Rednecks, and Radicals radio show on KNBC 95.1 FM, Carson City. And this is an interview I did with John McCune of the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. John has a couple of books coming out next year, early next year. One is a, a picture book of some of the um, shows that they played around the world, and another one is kind of a memoir. And uh, we got to talk about all sorts of things, his music, his life, his connection to um, incredible artists like Doc Watson and uh, Earl Scruggs, Mother Maybelle Carter. We also got to talk about his uh, friendship with Steve Martin. They went back to, uh, they go all the way back to high school uh, together and learned how to uh, play banjo together back in the day. So um, he has all kinds of incredible stories and um, a couple of great books coming out this next year that you should check out and definitely purchase. So there you go. I hope you enjoy this interview and uh, have a good one. I knew a man Bojangles and he danced for you In worn out shoes Silver hair and ragged shirt and baggy pants Well you have had a, a, a long career dating back to the mid-1960s and I was wondering if you could tell us some of the big highlights of your career looking back. Well, when you say it, back to the mid-1960s I, I wonder who you're talking about, you know? <laughs> but it does. It's very strange. I started playing in 1965 and 63, uh, and by 66, I was in a group called Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, was just starting up. And as far as highlights, I would say the first hit record in 1967. Uh, doing Paint Your Wagon, a Paramount Pictures movie in 1968. Uh, I'm just thinking through the years. Mr. Bojangles, getting, hearing that on the radio mm -hmm. and watching it climb the charts for 36 weeks. That was amazing. Yeah. The, the, the uh, Well, the Circle Be Unbroken album in 72. And then by 1977, we'd been became the first American band to go to Russia, doing 28 sold-out shows over the month of May of 1977. And then got back and with a band on Steve Martin's King Tut. My brother was managing Steve Martin as well as the Dirt Band mm -hmm. at the time. And uh, <laughs> the number one comedy record uh, we were playing on, not with the band's name, but... And then the country music business started. That's, well, we had a couple of pop hits, Make a Little Magic and American Dream in the late 70s. In the uh, 80s, saw the signing with Warner Brothers. And Long Hard Road in 1981 was the first number one record. And uh, although that's memorable to me, because well, I played the guitar on the opening and the guy started singing and I went... Listening in the headphones, I went, this sounds like a hit record. And it was. <laughs> and uh, there's other things that, that uh, I would say uh, making up my making up. I didn't make it up because this sounds like it was made up, some of the things in it. My book, The Life I Picked, which came out uh, over a year ago, mm -hmm. and uh, spending <clears throat> 10 years writing that, and it's it's I got over a hundred five star ratings on Amazon. The life I picked. Yeah. 
Did I mention the Circle album? No, 1972. Will the Circle Be Unbroken? We made an album that was in the Library of Congress and the Grammy Hall of Fame. That's a definite milestone. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, anyway, uh, I made an album a couple years ago called Made in Brooklyn, one of my uh, first albums away from the band. That, that won the Americana Award with the Independent Music Association. That was nice because they could say presented at Lincoln Center, but uh, it was actually at the atrium. <laughs> it wasn't in, but it was Lincoln Center. It was New York. Right. And uh, you know, there's other things, doing TV shows, certain ones, doing a TV show in Russia, 135 million people watching. Um, that was pretty exciting. But then even more current, uh, there's several things like, uh, well, I think Fishing in the Dark, that's not very current. But uh, I guess the most current thing, big thing, was at the end of the 50th year, Will, I uh, said to the other guys in the band, uh, I'm done. I'm I'm done. I've got other things to work on. And I left. <laughs> I'm talking to you now. Well, you released a book um, called The Life I Picked. You mentioned that just a minute ago. And uh, the spoken word version of it is, is coming out in uh, in 2021 with uh, a bunch of extra features to it. Uh, can you tell us about that project and some of the, the extra things that will be uh, released with that? Well, the spoken word will, version will have a, a few chapters that are new that haven't been uh, put in a book yet, but they're they're just waiting some stories. And it will also include music, music between chapters, and some a couple of the pieces of the sections, the stories, will be set to music. And it will have a lot of photos. So it won't just be a spoken word book. It'll have hundreds of photos and music and extra words. <laughs> yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. That's great. Um, you, you have uh, a bunch of things happening and another book uh, uh, coming out um, that has, that refers back to your uh, uh, trip in Russia called The, the Russian Trip uh, about you guys playing in the Soviet Union. I'd love to hear about uh, about that book and, and uh, what that includes. Well, uh, I hope to have a pictorial, like tabletop kind of book called The Russia Trip um, where I will tell the story of the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band being the first American group to go to Russia with, uh, I have a couple hundred pictures, photos that I've taken, and I shot video, well, not video, film. I took, I took an eight millimeter camera that had sound. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have that post that as a link so somebody can go to that link and see uh, 45, 30, 45 minutes of of Russia footage that really looks cool. It really looks old. It looks yeah. archival. It, it's, like, it's like, it looks like the Beatles in 1967. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that, that will be a book that has the Russia chapter along with more, fulfilling it out more, right. telling more about what happened. And I'm, I'm excited about that. That the 50th, 
year of that won't be till 2027. So I'm going to make it the 45th year. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 45 years later. And uh, then there's another book I'm working on, the 50th year of the Will the Circle Be Unbroken album, which just amazes me that it's been 50 years mm. since that album came out. And uh, it'll be a tabletop type of book with the pictures 10, oh, 10 by 14 or something. I can't remember the exact dimensions. But with the 90 pictures from the album, full size, uh, full, full page. People have only seen these photos two inches by two inches or an inch and a half by an inch and a half. Right. And it's really neat to see them blown up big because they were really wonderful pictures. My brother took them. My brother, Bill, who was who produced the album, was also managing the group at the time. And these are pictures with Merle Travis and Roy Acuff and Jimmy Martin and, and Earl Scruggs and, and uh, just everybody that was there. Bashful brother Oswald, Maybell Carter, and... Uh, a, a kind of a history of a bunch of young hippies from California that went to Nashville to make a record that was going to put them in the Library of Congress and the Grammy Hall of Fame. But we didn't know we were making that record. I just knew that I was doing the recording of my dreams. Getting, I, I wanted to play with Earl Scruggs and Doc Watson. I wanted to record with them. Right. So one night in Boulder, Colorado, I asked Earl Scruggs if he'd record with us. And he said, I'd be proud to. <laughs> and uh, he was playing a date there in Boulder at a club called Tulagi's. Been playing there for a week, and I was taking him back to the hotel every night because I, too, lived in Colorado. Mm -hmm. And that was part of the plan, though, Will, let me tell you, because <laughs> I knew that Doc Watson was playing there a week later, and if Earl said yes, I'm going to ask Doc the same question. I didn't know Doc. His right. son Merle had to introduce me, and he did. And I asked him, and he basically said, "Well, well, if Earl's going to there, I'm going to be there. I'd love to come and pick." Huh. I said, okay, Doc. I told my brother, and he got Merle Travis on the line the next week. Yeah. Merle Travis said yes. We called Earl and said, oh, can you get Maybell Carter? Uh, who do you recommend for fiddle? Uh, you know, with in the next uh, four weeks, it was put together. Man. Eight weeks after I asked Earl that question, we started recording. And nine weeks later, nine weeks, the, the ninth week, one week, six days of recording, we'd laid down 34 songs. Man. And we were done. That's incredible. 34 songs in six days, you said? Yeah. Man. We were kind of ready. They were ready. Yeah. We were ready. It was fun. What, what, what was the recording process like back in those days? Was it, um, was it almost all live to tape? Um, no overdubs? Well, Did you go back, back and do overdubs? Back in those days, there was multi-track. You know, we had a 16-track machine set up and running on the first song. Mm -hmm. But the first song was done in one take. And we turned off the multi-track because that would have to be mixed down to two tracks. Uh -huh. And that's a generation loss where you lose a lot of top end. And uh, 
didn't want that. My brother said, "Put the, let's put the multi-track away and go two-track. So it was all recorded two tracks. And once the song was done, like you start the song, three, four minutes later, you're done. If that's the take, you're done with that song. You move on. Hmm. We'd had nine hours a day scheduled for recording, but it only took about four. Hmm. You know, we, we would have... Uh, Merle Travis was first. He, he did about two and a half hours. And then Earl Scruggs, and he did about four. Uh, well, actually, it, it didn't. It took more than four. I was thinking of some of the different acts. But mm-hmm. it was really quick. Yeah. Some of those musicians, there, and, and, and you guys as well, are just so so tuned in you know it's that old school way of doing it and just just make well the take we were happen. playing their music they knew it they knew their songs we were the ones that had to learn something and uh, not all not everybody in the dirt band was playing jeff played guitar in a couple songs and jim ibbotson played guitar on a couple songs jeff played washboard on a few songs i played banjo and mandolin uh, banjo or mandolin on almost every cut. Well, uh, Les played mandolin on the ones I played banjo on. You know, we divided it up. And uh, Jimmy played harmonica a lot, but uh, that was uh, the way it went. That's that's incredible. I've been working on a, um, a the, um, Deep River Blues, that old Doc Watson tune, I'm trying to get the finger picking down for that. And uh, I, I can't tell you how impressed I am with that guy. He looks so effortless playing in some of these old videos and I can't get my thumb to do what his thumb does. And it's so frustrating because <laughs> he, he was such an incredible <laughs> well, player. Well, just remember, yeah. uh, thumb index, thumb middle. If you do that finger pattern hmm. on a C chord, for instance, uh-huh. your thumb hits the fifth string. Let's make it a G chord. Your thumb uh-huh. hits the sixth string. Your index finger hits the third string. Your thumb hits the f- the fourth string, and your middle finger hits the first string. Huh. And, and you yeah. just do that over and over, and then change chords. Change the C, then the D, and you get that double thumbing down, and you'll be able to play a world of music. Huh. That's a great tip. I'm going to use that. Thanks for that. <laughs> Well, I wanted to ask about the, the, the Russia trip um, in the Soviet Union, you guys playing over there. Um, who, who took all those pictures? You mentioned you had the, the, the camera and whatnot, but was, did you guys have another press person with you or something? Or how, how did those pictures come? Where did they come from? I, uh, um, about a month before the Russia trip, I went to a photographer friend that was working at United Artists. He was shooting somebody, and the kind of attitude he had was, Hey, Gary, he's in the middle of shooting somebody. Okay, that's good. Yeah, one more. Okay, let me get over here. Hey, Gary, yeah, what'd you do? You want to go to Russia? Yeah, yeah, let me know when. I need about three hours' notice. And, okay, move over there now. (laughs) He was just, he was ready to go. And that's all he needed to say. And, uh, oh, he said, how long are we going to be gone? I said, about a month. Sounds good. (laughs) <laughs> one of my best friends Gary is yeah. and uh, he shot black and white in color and I shot the movie the film stuff 
and it was wonderful because uh, you got a lot of shots. Uh, how did the stuff with with Steve Martin work out back in the day? I was kind of interested in, in in that. I think you mentioned that your your brother was friends with him. Is, is was that the connection? When I was a junior in high school, that year had gone by, and it was the summer. It was getting up to summer, and I was hanging out in Disneyland, and Steve Martin was hanging out at the Magic Shop. Not working, but I, I met him there. Huh. And we were both trying to get a job working at the Magic Shop. Right. And we were both successful. We were both 16. And we both had the time of our lives for a few years working at the Disneyland Magic Shop, both on Main Street and in Fantasyland. And that's when I got to know him. It was before music, before anything. And I was a senior in high school after that summer, thankfully. By the time I was 17 and a half, the five-string banjo came into my life. Hmm. And I introduced it to Steve at the same time, and he really dug it, too. And I started showing him what I was learning, because I was learning it a little faster than him. He's kind enough to say I taught him how to play. But <laughs> as he went on uh, to develop as a magician, he decided he didn't want to be a magician. As he went on to develop as a banjo player, he decided he didn't want to be just a banjo player. And he started working on comedy. This is at, at 18, 19, 17. He was always funny in school. Mm -hmm. and, uh, then at 21, I think it was for him, 20, 21, he got a job as writer on the Smothers Brothers show. And he was in a different world, comedy writer. Mason Williams was his boss. And Carl Gottlieb, who was going to write Jaws a few years later, was one of the other writers. It was a great team. Mm -hmm. And he did comedy writing for a few years. Then Campbell, Sonny and Cher, uh, the, the various shows they had. Right. And during that time, we were having lunch once at Farmer's Market. And he said, I'm going to quit. What? You're going to quit? That's a lot of money. You're gonna, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to work on my comedy act and be a comedian. Hmm. I should have bought stock in Steve Martin that day because <laughs> he only had eight minutes of material. So he started doing that around 1972, 71. I've got the Circle album going on. The bands had two or three hit records with the Uncle Charlie album, and then the Circle album hadn't had its impact yet, but by 73, it was having... 74, the Circle album had an impact, and also some of our records. Steve was opening for us, because my, my brother's managing, he could get that job. And uh, then finally, he started selling out clubs. Then he started selling out concerts. Then he did Saturday Night Live. Then he did The Tonight Show and a bunch of times. And his career took off. My brother recorded his albums. Bill, Bill recorded Steve's albums and uh, guided his career for the first 15 years. Huh. And uh, I've worked with him off and on over the years. 
and produced the Crow album that won the best bluegrass album of 2010. Well, hey, man, you've been in, involved in, in so much throughout your career, and, and you got these projects still coming out, and you, you stay super busy. Um, other than these these books and stuff we've been talking about, is there any other any other projects you've been working on that'll be coming out in the next year or two? I have a spoken word album I've been working on. I've got one more thing to record, and uh, it's using film score music, the, the kind of music I like to put behind films and uh, putting behind putting behind the the stories, various stories. One, one's a letter from the Civil War from a soldier to his sweetheart. One is a letter from another soldier during the Vietnam War about a horrible battle. It's not a letter. It's more like a it's somewhere between a poem and a speech, but it's called The Battle of Nui Bad Nui Den. Another one is a, a funny story called Flight Trouble. It's a Hank Williams piece, a couple of songs, pieces that I wrote, and uh, a couple of things I don't want to talk about because they're really good ideas. <laughs> <laughs> but they have music behind them, and they're very excited about it. Well, I'm looking forward to to, uh, to hearing that. If if people want to support your work, what's the best place they can find you online? When they see me on the street, hand me five dollars, or <laughs> <laughs> uh, they can find me online at johnmcewen.com. That's m c e u e n dot com, or my Facebook, John McEwen Music, is easy to find. I think, mm-hmm. and. It's a pretty good site. I, I can use some more followers. Only got about twenty thousand, but it's uh, building up, and that's pretty much it. Other than any of my work is available on Amazon.com. Just put in my name and records in the book, uh, and both Dirt Band records and my solo records come up. I've made five or six solo albums and 35 dirt band albums, and I'm on about five or six other people's records. But don't worry. Don't go looking at them. Just go to my stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Support your stuff. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, that's all the questions I had for you for today. Thanks for for chatting with me about all that stuff. That's, That's pretty incredible. Well, thank you. Thank you for listening. Good to spend some time with you, and I'll talk to you down the road. Mr. Bo-